Thank you, Paul. Um, yeah, I threw, did, did throw Paul a curveball this morning. Uh, we were going to look at Mark chapter 5 this morning, and that's what I had planned. And uh, actually, I had planned it last week. And uh, so then we weren't sure whether we were going to cancel or not going to cancel this morning, and back and forth. And, and uh, so we decided that it best to, to go ahead and have the service this morning. But, but I decided to switch sermons at the last minute, which is not always a very good thing for preachers to do. Uh, but I did it anyway. Uh, part, the reason is that Mark chapter 5, the, the uh, first section of that, is a pretty long passage. In fact, it's the longest passage in the book of Mark, except for the story of the crucifixion. Uh, so it's really important. It's very important. It's kind of long. And I was going to do it in two, two sessions, two Sundays, uh, because it's, it's just such a, there's so much there. And uh, kind of one, and then launch into something a little bit more um, kind of a spiritual growth sort of thing. It's the story of, of where Jesus cast out the demons into a herd of pigs, which is, that in itself is, is, a, is kind of a, a deep subject, like what happened there? Uh, but we will look at that next week, and we will look at it the next two weeks, actually. Uh, second week will be a little bit more practical, but we need to look at the passage, because if, for Mark to put that much scroll space in one story tells me that it's very important. Uh, we don't, they didn't have paper, you know, in, in, endless supplies of paper like we have now, uh, so when, when an author devotes a large, large space to something, he does not waste space. Uh, the Holy Spirit is also very efficient with words. So if the word's there, it's important, and that's why we want to look at it. But we are going to kind of introduce something else this morning but that's somewhat related to that. Um, and, and we're really related to the, the in a couple of weeks as well that's kind of introducing this. When we started the book of Mark, started studying that, I tried to present the idea, or at least argue the idea, that Mark is really this, it's, it's the gospel for discipleship. It's the gospel that we use. It's the gospel that, that is heavily emphasizing the followers of Jesus, uh, the personal followers of Jesus. I mean, he, every, every page is, is a conversation with the disciples and what he's calling the disciples to do and what he's calling the disciples to be. And <clears throat> uh, I think... That tells us that, that Jesus is, this is important for him, that he's trying to, to get the disciples. We see their warts, we see their failings, we see their mistakes, we see their doubts, we'll see everything about them, and Jesus still keeps coming back. You even see some little bit of a, a little bit of a, you know, what are you guys, crazy? Are you kind of dense up there? He, he, he kind of rebukes them in a way, and so that's what the passage is all about. So that's what I would thought I'd, I'd talk a little bit about this morning uh, in sort of a last-minute deal. Uh, if you're listening to, uh, well, let's pray first. Let me do that first. That get th first things first. Father, we want to talk to you because you are the author of this book, and we need your spirit to to speak to us. We need your spirit to make things clearer to us, so that you can move us closer to you. And so, Father, we're asking this morning that uh, the spirit be the teacher, in spite of uh, the words that I I speak and stumble over that uh, your spirit will, will be here this morning and touch our hearts. And so, Father, we give you permission to do that. We give you um, the opportunity to invade us and to show us uh, your love and what you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if, you're, if you read uh, current, 
Christian thought these days or listen to podcasts that are going on these days, you might have heard the word deconstruction. Uh, that's kind of a, one of those trendy things that uh, people latch onto, give it a name, then it becomes a thing, uh, a deconstructing. But in reality, deconstructing has been going on throughout church history. I mean, it's just, we just have a fancy name for it now. Uh, when you talk about people deconstructing their faith, what's happening today is a lot of Christians are reevaluating what they believe. They grew up in the church or they, they had an experience with God or something, and so they kind of start questioning things and, and start to deconstruct what they believe. And again, that's been true throughout church history. And, and I would argue that uh, it is also a necessity that we deconstruct our faith. Uh, the problem is that we never get to the third step. We, we go with, from deconstruction or construction our faith, rather, when we're young or when we accept Christ or when we trust Christ or we get introduced to Christ, and we kind of just build on our faith of what people tell us and our traditions and what we build on and what our perspective is. If you're in America or if you're in Mexico or if you're in, in China, you are, you are given this sort of set, set of, uh, of beliefs, of practices, of traditions, of rituals, and you start to build your faith on that. <clears throat> and usually it happens in as people start maybe in the second half of their life, but sometimes it happens earlier, people start to deconstruct that, and they start going, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know about that. I have some doubts here. What's this? And I think that's helpful. I think we all should do that uh, with a very serious mind guided by the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is we go from construction to deconstruction, and we never get to reconstruction. Uh, Richard Rohr calls it order, disorder, and reorder. Well, whatever you want to call it, it's the same thing. It's basically when we start to kind of deconstruct or, or have a crisis of faith, and I think I've mentioned this before. Sue and I went through this about 25 years ago, and, uh, it, was, and it really was a life-changing thing. We started questioning things. Of, we were missionaries at the time, okay? And, and uh, we started questioning what we were doing, and what we were quote-unquote selling, and for some reason, the good news no longer sounded like good news. Uh, it sounded more like maybe bad news, and maybe you got this one little route to escape the bad news, but that's about it. That's all you get out of it. And so we kind of went through this whole thing of questioning, was this right? Is this true? And, and we kind of ended up going through the reconstructing phase, and not that we've got it there or not but we did this process and well for me it was just taking a year and not reading anything but the gospels and I think I've shared this before that reading Matthew Mark Luke and John going back and reading Matthew Mark and John for a whole year read nothing but the four gospels and that's what did it for me I'm not saying that's a, a suggestion for you but that's what did it for me it started saying okay I am finding this person Jesus Christ the most compelling person in history and and I've decided, yes, I still think I want to follow him. But those who are deconstructing will say, oh, I'm done with organized religion. I don't want to be in an institutional church. I, I, I've moved beyond the church. I, I'm, I'm much deeper now. Uh, and also the church is full of hypocrites or uh, I don't like the, the way they hate their enemies or whatever. They have their excuses. So that's where they're, they're going for. And the response for the Christian elite a lot of time have been like pastors and preachers and especially famous preachers 
the response has been, oh, they just have no commitment. They end up cutting them down. They end up criticizing. They just have no commitment, or they're just insecure in their faith, and, and the world got the better of them. Uh, or then they become theology cops, and they start inspecting everyone's theology and, and correcting it and wanting to correct their theology. And, uh, and frankly, I was on the receptive <laughs> reception end of that uh, several times. Uh, people wondering my, my theology and questioning my theology and questioning this or that, and you're just not, you're just not orthodox. And that's, you know, that's kind of what it gets to receive, and you can't really blame them for moving on. But you talk to these people, and, and I, I meet with a couple every week. No, I, I take that back. It's probably a couple times a month. And they, are, they have a deep sense of mystery within them. And they have a deep sense of, of wanting to reach out and know that they're here for something more. They want to be here for something else that they're singing, that, they're, that they're, they want to get closer to God however they define it. But they don't know how to get there. And usually it's people who have been hurt um, by the church. Um, one person I know was hurt deeply by his father, uh, that he was now the enemy. And it just drove him further away. And he says, oh, he's still wrestling. He says, but my wife, she's not even wrestling. And I think that's just so sad because they have this longing. They know what's here. And they know they have this sense of mystery. They just don't notice they want all the creeds and all the codes and all the, the mutuality and the responsibility and the, the accountability. They don't want, want that. And so that's, that's the problem. But the problem is I think we, we haven't defined spirituality very well. And spirituality can mean so many things to so many people. But deep down we know that there's something for more. We, we, we long for it and we, we long that there's something else, some kind of mysterious thing that we're not connecting with. Um, and so oftentimes they, they just drop out. Or they might stay and just suffer in silence and just kind of sit there in the, che- in the chairs or the pews and, and carry on because it's too scary to get out of that and think what's going to happen. And so they just kind of stay in silence or suffer. Or they just look for the next cool thing out there, whether it's in Christianity or not in Christianity. Whatever is the next thing that comes along. The bottom line is Jesus is not enough for them. That's where it is. And I had to come to the conclusion that, that that's where I was. That I was putting other things in a priority over Jesus. And anytime you do that, your spirituality becomes vapor thin. And it's so easy to be distracted, led astray, dropped it, and get in despair. And I want to stop... And I think Mark can help us here. The book of Mark can help us here. And I think that we need to look at what is spirituality anything, anyway. That if we follow anything else, anyone else, if anything takes priority, if we start reading the Bible through our, our social lens or our political lens or anything else that reads the Bible through that, then we're missing the boat. We're missing what's important. We're really saying we put anything above that we're saying Jesus is not enough and what happens is is that 
we've gotten this mindset that there is this difference between spirituality and material and materiality or materialism or sacred and and secular that there is this gap between the two and you shouldn't mix the two the world is bad the spirit is good then that just totally discounts the the incarnation just the fact that god became human being tells me that the material is good this is good it's good to be a human because God himself did it. Now, I'm not saying this body is good. You know, <laughs> I've been working out, so that's not good. But I'm just saying the material is good. It is good to be a human being because God himself did it. <clears throat> There's a professor at Wheaton College named John Dixon uh, who's from Australia, and he told his students that uh, in Australia, in 2011, 61% of the people in Australia identified with Christianity. In 2016, 52% identified with Christianity. 2022, 44% identified with Christianity. And he tells his students that America is just a decade behind Australia. Uh, in America today, in 2007, 78% identified as Christianity. In 2021, 63%. And it's, it's declining in the same rate as Australia. And part of it is people are just getting disgruntled. And what about the church? What do we do there? What, do, what, do we, what, are our, what is our responsibility? And I think one of the problems is that we don't understand what spirituality is all about that we've created another thing that is not following Jesus. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. I love the way uh, Eugene Peterson uh, paraphrases this. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that passage. And I love the way Eugene Peterson translated it. Uh, I think the whole issue here is we don't know the unform, unforced rhythms of grace. What does that look like? What, is that, what does that mean? And basically what he's talking about is discipleship. Just following Jesus, being an apprentice, being a learner of Jesus Christ, doing what he does, learning how to do it. How would Jesus live your life? He's not asking you to walk on water. He's not asking you to cast demons into pigs. He's asking you to say, how would, what would it look like if Jesus was living your life in the classroom, you know, in the accounting room, in the kitchen, in the nursery, wherever that is? How would Jesus live that out for you as you, as you live out your life? And as <clears throat> we've been talking about the changes and stuff and, and forming, a, a, getting the structure or our infrastructure of Shepherd of the Valley, so 
so that it can maximize the, our ministry and maximize the gifts. But one of the things I, I will not compromise on is the main thing must always remain the main thing. I am not into doing programs just for the sake of doing programs. I'm not in the same of doing activities just to have activities. The main thing must be the main thing. And what is the main thing? Is discipleship. Following Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, the Great Commission is, go to the uttermost parts of the earth and make disciples. Teaching them what I have taught you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them everything that I've taught. That's the bottom line. Alistair McGrath says that evangelicalism, particularly American evangelicalism, is failing the modern church. Evangelicals have done a superb job of evangelizing people, of bringing them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but they are failing to provide believers with approaches to living that keep them going and growing in a spiritual relationship with Him. That is our goal, not to get people to say a prayer, not to get people to raise their hand or come forward. There's nothing wrong with those things. But we also think that's the, that's the bottom line. That's where we stop. The mission we worked for, I loved the mission agency we were with. We used to have to send in um, uh, quotas, have to send in numbers to the home office. How many people were saved this month? How many people are in your church? And they, they quantified everything. Fortunately, we got a new president in, and he goes, this is crazy, <laughs> and, and got rid of it. There's something more deeper then. There's something more than raising a hand, coming forward. None of that, nothing wrong with those things. The problem is we stop there. And really, when you look at it, the New Testament, the emphasis is on following him. Jesus never said, you need to ask me into your heart. What he did say Let's come follow me. That's what he wants us to do, is follow him. Discipleship is costly. We must abandon many things that are normally sought after in this world. We have to put aside some of the materialism, some of the, uh, 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 well, the, three, the big three, money, sex, and power. Nothing wrong again with all three of those things. But... When we strive for them over what we're following Jesus, then they become a problem. We may have to give some of these up. There's little payback in this world. You're not going to get a lot of encouragement about this. You're not going to get paid a lot for that. You just do it. Uh, there's a possibility of persecution. Now, frankly, I think American Christians uh, have over-exaggerated persecution. And because of that, they react in a, in a very kind of violent sort of antagonistic antagonistic way I mean this is not persecution so yeah uh, I won't say any more about that <laughs> but non-discipleship is costlier still the non-disciple forfeits peace the non-disciple forfeits the life saturated with love the non-disciple forfeits faith to see the hand of God when circumstances are tough that surround us. The non-disciple forfeits hope when he or she is disillusioned or depressed. The non-disciple forfeits power to confront evil. 
the non-disciple forfeits the abundant life offered by Jesus right now. The non-disciple forfeits rest for the soul. And the non-disciple forfeits becoming the person God created you to be. And the non-disciple forfeits help through the storms. The non-disciple forfeits privilege of helping others through those storms. And we end up with a church full of either Pharisees or failures. We end up with a church who think people who think, I do everything right, you need to follow my example, you need to do this and that. If you really want to be a Christian, you, you don't, if you're a Christian, you, another example, we had a, uh, had a, a good friend of mine had a, had a high schooler, and he had gotten a tattoo, and uh, went to a Christian school, and the, the principal got after him because Christians don't have tattoos, you know. And he goes, what, did I lose my salvation when I got a tattoo? I mean, where, where's that? Where's that come from? That's pharisaical. Or you live with people who think they've got to do this, I've got to do that, and I can't do it all, I can't finish, and they end up feeling like failures. A disciple enters the light yoke. A disciple enters a time of peace. The disciple just practices the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase. It's just a rhythm. Uh, John Mark, Mark Comer just did a book on this, and I haven't picked it up yet. In fact, I don't know if it's out of print yet, but I heard him on an on a interview, and um, he was saying pretty much the same things. And I go, yeah, go, man, go. Would recommend his book. I'm going to pick it up. Walking his walk, four things that should not be our primary objectives when we're in discipleship. One is external conformity. That everybody's got to conform to my standards, to what I think a Christian ought to be. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is not complete agreement with a doctrinal statement. It's not like you have to be everything I believe. If you don't believe like I believe when it comes to Calvinism or Arminianism or, or any other isms, then I've, I'm kind of wondering about that. I kind of wonder about that. Um, yeah, I've had people tell me what I believe, and that's not true. They just already know. They certainly know what I believe, and that this is this is what you're. This is why you're a heretic. Um, strategies are church growth and new member assimilation. Strategies are fine, but that's not our primary objective. Emotional experiences are great, and I believe in them, and we should have them. We are emotional beings. We should have them, but the focus should not be there. The main thing must be the main thing. Discipleship is the main thing. We want to hear at Shepherd of the Valley, we want people to be conformed to the image, transformed to the image of Christ for the good of others. That's our purpose to be transformed into the image of Christ. Walking his walk, two things that should be our primary objectives, that we clearly and constantly delight in the fact that the creator God was made real in Jesus and that we know there is not a catch in his love. And what I mean by that, there's no catch. He loves you. There's no catch there. And Sue does something with, with women that I think is very effective. 
she tells them, she says, look into my eyes and say, because I'm going to tell you something, I love you. I love you. Because now, close your eyes and hear those words from Jesus. I love you. That's it. No catch. No, con no conditions. It's just true. And the other thing is to remove automatic responses that would work against the kingdom. And they work to enslave and dominate us, which we will look at the next two weeks. And what I mean by that, re, you know, remove those instincts where it's lust or it's anger or it's violence or it's, or it's uh, gossip or judgment or whatever those impulses are, those are removed when we follow Jesus. So we asked the question, many of you remember that, what would Jesus do? Everybody remembers those, right? Those bracelets, what would Jesus do? Well, that's not a bad question, but the better question is, how am I being transformed into his image? That's the better question. My children, I'm going through the pain of giving childbirth to you all over again until Christ is formed in you, Paul says. And yet, I'm <clears throat> and yet I am alive, yet it is no longer I, but Christ living in me. And this is the passage to me, the, the command passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed no longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we're after. That's the main thing. I think there were other passages here. Uh, yeah, the, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, into which we now stand. We, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice our, in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And now in 1 John, the passage that Paul just read, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must also walk as Jesus walked. In other words, live as Jesus lived. So instead of asking, what would Jesus do? The good question is, what kind of person was Jesus and what is he doing? Those are the two questions, two simple questions. What kind of person was he? What was his character like? And what did he do to show that character? And that's why I really believe that we should be studying a gospel, one of the gospels, very regularly in the church. And one of the reasons why we're doing Mark it's because I think we need to look at the Gospels of Jesus Christ. So finally, why am I still a Christian? Me. My, my reasons for being still a Christian. I deconstructed, back in those, when those trendy words, uh, I deconstructed 20, 25, maybe 30 years ago now. <laughs> Golly, am I that old? Um, why am I still a Christian? Because the universe was created with a meaning and a purpose. The story of the gospel is simply this, that is answering questions. And I've said this before. Why is there something instead of nothing? 
Why is there something instead of nothing? And then what went wrong with all that? And then the next question is, what did God do about it? And then the last question is, how do we respond? That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of the Bible. That's the redemptive story of the scripture. So why am I still a Christian? Because the universe was created with meaning and purpose. Why did God do this? Just because he could? Why did he create stars and black holes and antimatter and dark matter and, and earth and dirt and, and just the incredibly almost unending variety of life on this planet? Why did he do that? Just for the heck of it? Because he could? No, it's because he created it with meaning and purpose. And that is love is an important and powerful force in the universe. God is defined by love. He didn't say, the Bible doesn't say God is loving or he, he enjoys loving you or whatever. He is love. He is the es essence of love. Um, love is, is practical and at the same time it doesn't make sense. What causes us to want to sacrifice something for someone else? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any evolutionary sense. But it's because it doesn't make sense, because it's love. Why do we do that for better others? Love helps us become better versions of ourselves. Love requires relationships. It's not love unless there's something to receive or someone to receive that love. It's not love. God himself exists in a relationship, a triune relationship. That's how love works. Love is useless if there's nothing else to love, no object for loving. He is more powerful. Love is more powerful than our mistakes. Love is more powerful than our pains. It conquers everything. The best explanation, I'm still a Christian because the best explanation of the most obvious truth about humanity and the world. It offers to me the best, the best answer to why the world is the way it is and why are we the way we are. Because we are broken. I made a statement the other a few weeks ago that, that uh, Christians believe that humans are innately good. And of course, I got some pushback from that. One of those heretical things, I will say. So I always thought humans are also basically evil. They're, they're evil. No, we are broken. Which came first, Genesis 2 or Genesis 3? Genesis 2 came first. We were created in the image of God. And innately means that this basic blueprint is here in us. Is it damaged? Yes. Is it erased? No. That basic impulse, that basic blueprint of a human being is the image of God, is love. Yes, it's broken. And yes, humans do evil things. And yes, people turn themselves over to evil completely. There are sociopaths and psychopaths. But it's not who we truly are. Our true self. Hope in the resurrection is another reason why I'm a Christian. And I, I say this at every funeral. I believe in the resurrection. I firmly believe in the resurrection. That this is new life. And there's new life every day new birth every day, 
and it comes every day, and the resurrection is true. And I always say in the funeral that, in funerals, that I believe that this is the one reason that gives me hope is I believe in the resurrection. And I believe there's good evidence for the resurrection, but I also want it to be true. <laughs> and people will say, but Tommy, just because you want it to be true doesn't mean it's true, does it? No, it doesn't. But I agree with C.S. Lewis here. He says we have thirst, and it makes sense that there's something to quench that thirst. There's water. We have need for food, fuel. We get hungry, and there is a provision to satisfy that need. And I think our deepest need, our deepest longing is life, and I'm just going to assume that God's provided that too. And he's provided that in the resurrection. And so that's the other reason why I'm, I'm still a Christian. And the last reason is that Jesus Christ provides the most powerful, unique response to the problem of evil and suffering. Who would have thought this? If I was in charge, everybody would be puppets, and I would control you, and nobody would do anything wrong. But we have a God who actually became a human and suffered with us. For the first time in all of history, in the history of the universe, God himself experienced what we experience. A broken heart, physical pain, abandonment, separation, and death. The biggest complaint, I, I'm listening to this, I've told you this before, I'm listening to scripture these days in the morning to this app that I have, and, uh, and I'm in Job. It's like, really? <laughs> They're long. But the big question they have is, you know, you don't know what it feels like. You don't know what, it's, what it feels like. You don't know what it's like to be human. You don't know what it's like to be down here. Well, yes, he does. He does. Not just in his head, but experientially. He knows what it's like. And that's why I'm a Christian. Can I prove these things? No, I can't. But I just know in my bones they're true. I just know in my bones are true, and they have to be true. Just the way things are. They just seem to answer the, the questions that I have the most. Just to close with a few quotes here with um, both ancient and modern saints. True spirituality, Christian spirituality, takes affection, attention off of ourselves and focuses it on another, on Jesus. Spirituality is always in danger of self-absorption of becoming so intrigued with the matters of the soul that God is treated as a mere accessory to my experience. Whoever follows me, it's without Jesus, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, Thomas Kempis says this, uh, says the Lord, these are Christ's words by which he exhorts us to imitate his life and his ways. If we truly desire to be enlightened and free of all blindness of heart, let it then be our main concern to meditate on the life of Jesus Christ. Isaiah, and when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear the word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Teresa de Avila says, the whole way to heaven is heaven itself. 
and Henry Nouwen, one of my favorites, the wagon wheel helps us understand the importance of a life centered for, from the center. When I move along the rim, I can reach each spoke after the other, but when I say to the hub, uh, but when I say that the hub, I am in touch with all the spokes at once. The closer I come to the hub, the closer I come to all that receives its strength and energy from there. The wagon wheel shows that the hub is the center of all energy and movement, even when it often seems not to be moving at all. If God, in God, all action and all rest are one. If it's at the hub, it's okay. St. Irenaeus, I'm going to have to look back at this one. The tender flesh itself will be found one day, quite surprisingly, to be capable of receiving, and yes, full capable of embracing the searing images, energies of God. For even at its beginning, the humble clay received God's art, whereby one part became the eye, the other an ear, and yet another the impetuous hand. Therefore, the flesh is not to be excluded from the wisdom and the power that now and ever animates all things. His life-giving agency is made perfect, we are told, even in our weaknesses. The main thing must be the main thing. And you must be, you may be de deconstructing these days or know somebody who's deconstructing. Um, my suggestion to you is read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. You might even start this week with Luke chapter 7. And just make a list of what do you see Jesus doing. And see how you can do those things in your life. It's just a practical thing to do. Luke 7 is a good place to start. So let's pray together. Then I'll ask Jared and Ed if you'll come on back up. <clears throat> we're we're going to take communion this morning. And um, what we're going to do is, is um, I'm going to ask you to come on up. Since we're slurred on ushers this morning. To come up and receive the, the um, uh, elements from us. From the bread and the cup. Go back to your seat and hold it, and then we will take the communion elements together. And I'm just going to look over here and ask Ken if you'll come and hold one of the, the trays for us, please. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your graciousness. We thank you for this, this Lord's Supper that we are celebrating, that even when things are just kind of, kind of uh, crazy and, and um, spontaneous, we come back to this. You died. You rose from the dead so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And so, Father, we ask that you bless these elements in Jesus' name. Amen.